0: I have noticed with aspiring C-suite leaders, they technically know how to deliver information, even celebrated and elevated to those roles. But sometimes, and I've seen this so often, that when faced with adversity or faced with a situation where your work is being questioned or compared to somebody else, the competition, another business unit. We lose our traction. We lose our confidence, and we're just simply not equipped to be able to respond to such situations. Instead, we might react with negative comments and trying to elevate ourselves is how we're better. But I will tell you, and this conversation I had with Ellie is so important. It's not necessarily what you're saying, pitching, or delivering, but how you made people feel and the trust they build in you. So, what if? you were being compared to somebody else's work, could you say something positive about that other work? That's memorable. And then in the process, you may compare and contrast on how you might be better. But always start from a place of positivity and acknowledging the strengths of others. It will instantaneously elevate you. So please stay for this entire episode. It is so full of insights and inspiration. But now let's listen to my guest, Ellie.
1: As a salesperson, I tend to be very hyper aware of salespeople who are selling to me. And I tend to kind of look at their tactics and I often find that it just comes off so poorly when they just talk about the competitor in a negative way. When they do the opposite and they actually talk about the competitor in a positive way and say things that make me interested in working with that competitor, it kind of has the effect of making me more interested in working with that person because you kind of want to know what is it that you're doing that's even better than what they're doing. And tell me how you differentiate yourself versus that competitor when you're dealing with a customer and they're talking about why they're happy with the competitor don't talk about the negatives that they do talk about the positives that you do that they don't do and in so doing without saying it you're kind of pointing out their flaws (laughs) because when you say what you do that they don't do they pick up on that and realize yeah you're right i am lacking that and i am lacking that and you guys are bringing that to the table okay let's talk welcome to the drop-in
0: ceo podcast I'm Deb Coviello, and as the drop-in CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, Join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, I am Deb Coveello, founder of The Drop-In CEO, and I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of The Drop-In CEO podcast where I get to speak to amazing leaders and share their insights and inspiration with you. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review so we can continue to bring you great programming. And this episode is sponsored by Illumination Partners. We help C-suite leaders take control of their career and get promoted. And today I am honored to share the mic with my amazing guest, Ellie Metzer. Ellie is an accomplished business and sales leader with. 18 years in company management and business development and a proven track record for sales growth. And he partners with senior leaders and articulates vision and strategy and leads the execution of those initiatives. But what is very key to what he does that makes him very interesting for the show is that while he is very talented as a leader and as an entrepreneur, he also does it through elevating the capability and skills of the people he leads. Ellie, it is my pleasure to welcome you onto the
1: show. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm uh, really happy to be here. I've been really looking forward to this
0: And I as well. And just for my listeners, a little bit, you have heard this over and over again. I am out of the flavors, fragrance, and food industry. So I found Ellie. (laughs) I was looking for senior leaders in that space. And it's because we have a lot we can talk about. But what was really interesting was when we got to know each other, he's very humble as a leader. Yes, he is very talented, what he does, but the work that he does is how he develops the teams around us. And that's what's important to you as a listener. So, Ellie, if you could share a little bit about yourself personally for our audience, as well as your journey and the work that you're doing now.
1: Sure. I'll start uh, with a little bit of personal background. I uh, grew up in Brooklyn, a Brooklyn kid, and uh, currently live in Teaneck, New Jersey, North Jersey, with my wife and four children. Just had a uh, another one three months ago, and uh, so we're just kind of in that baby diaper mode again uh, and really enjoying it. My wife and I, it's, uh, it's been, it's been a fun ride now with four, age six and under. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. A lot of, energy. how, uh,
0: what are their <laughs> ages and how, and what are they? I mean, just tell me, I'm curious. So
1: We have six, he's actually going to be seven this month. His birthday's coming up. We have six, five, two and a half, and then the newborn at uh, three months.
0: Oh my, what a handful, but uh, <laughs> bless you for managing that. I know I had three children and we actually had to have extra help because <laughs> I think we were all felt overrun. <laughs>
1: yes, absolutely. It's uh, it, it's really, a fun, you know, the, the, the weekends, especially, you know, we have the kids in daycare and uh, and the baby just started this week going to daycare. So we finally get a little bit of a break uh, from, from having him home all day. And, the weekends are just a wild ride uh where they're <laughs> all just home and and uh just keeping everyone entertained and uh but it's really fulfilling so we're we're blessed.
0: So that that's fantastic. And I know what it is. I mean, I have three children of my own. And at times you just feel like you're running from events and school and just making sure nobody goes to the emergency room. So yeah. <laughs> but more about your your career journey as well.
1: So my career journey is interesting. As as you mentioned, I started more from an entrepreneurial side of things. A friend of mine in college, I went to Brooklyn College and a close friend of mine, we decided that we wanted to start our own endeavor coming out of school. And we really didn't have any idea or business plan of what we wanted to do. We just knew we wanted to own our own company and that we just wanted to start something and be our own boss. So it's interesting because a lot of times you hear these stories of founders and they they had an idea and they start to pursue it and execute it and there's a great story that follows. Uh, we did not have an idea, <laughs> so we started searching for an idea. We just knew that we had the ambition to be a leader, and uh, we started searching for the idea. So we started exploring in trade shows and local food shows. We'd go to the Javits Center and talk to companies that are out there and just trying to understand about their products and what they were looking to do, what they were looking to achieve at these trade shows in terms of building their business. And we came across a founder of a iced tea business out in California called Shangri-La Tea. And uh, we started talking and one thing led to another. They were looking for some energetic, young entrepreneurial people to build up distribution in various different territories. And being that we were in New York, Uh, He was looking for someone there and he was willing to give us a shot. And, you know, I look back at that now and I still can't for the life of me think about what possessed him to give two coming out of college students with no credentials, no track record rights to their product to distribute in a market like New York, no less. It's not like we were in a small secondary market. I mean, you talk about selling tea into the food service industry in New York. I mean, that's a prime, prime city for that product. And to give that kind of responsibility to a couple unproven kids is really uh, surprising. But I look at that as, you know, there's an example of someone who saw something and decided to give someone a shot and really allowed them to prove themselves and grow into it. And sometimes... You kind of have to get that opportunity in order to show that you can do that opportunity. And this person was able to really see that in us and give us that chance. And from there, things kind of snowballed uh, where we built up this tea business. It was quite successful. We got into a number of high-level marquee restaurants in New York. You're talking about major restaurant groups like uh, the Union Square Hospitality Group, the, the famous Danny Meyer the Firemen Group uh, Tavern on the Green. Once upon a time, when that was there, the Central Park Boathouse, like real, mar- you know, restaurants along Restaurant Row. Mario Batali has a number of restaurants there that we uh, we were servicing. So we really were able to build it into something quite impressive uh, for us, at least. And uh, from there, we got into another venture. And please stop me if you want to talk about any point, but I'm just kind of trying in a nutshell going through my career experience. Uh, we started another company called Ike and Sam's Kettle Corn, which was a branded popcorn, a gourmet popcorn. And keep in mind, both of these concepts, this is the early 2000s. So tea is still up and coming. You're reading articles about the health benefits of tea. Now it's it's established and, and iced tea, bottled beverages, fresh brewed, uh, It's ubiquitous. But back then it was something that in the U.S. at least it was still coming up. And same with kettle corn. It wasn't a known commodity. Now you go to the supermarket and you have a variety of different popcorns and sweet and salty and chocolate covered things like that.
0: But I would like to just jump in here because this is getting really interesting. So I I didn't know any of this about you. There was two things that you talked about just early in this career, this venture. I'm going to first talk about you. You said you just knew. You just knew with you and your buddy, you wanted to do something different. You wanted to be your own boss. You wanted to be entrepreneurial. I want to understand because sometimes leaders have this thing in their gut. They just know, but they don't pursue it. Was it that you were like running away from, well, I don't want to do that. Or you had seen somebody or you were inspired and you were running towards doing something different and being an entrepreneur. What was that for you?
1: Well, I guess it's a combination of confidence in myself that I always felt like I could be the leader and I could direct people. And also just seeing that role model, and I can't even necessarily pinpoint to anyone in particular that inspired me, say, I want to mirror that person. But just a combination of exposure to people who are in that position who I wanted to emulate and become something like that. And, you know, it goes back even before that, this is the kind of stuff that I don't really talk about on my resume because, you know, it's high school, college period. But this, this partner of mine who we started these uh, tea and, and popcorn ventures during college, we started another venture and this wasn't meant to be a real business, but more of a side thing. But we started to buy and sell candles and decorative pieces candle holders and things like that at flea markets and we found a supplier we were able to get them in bulk at a low price and retail them uh, for a profit and we would basically go on the weekend to local flea markets and sell them and it wasn't particularly successful and it was very hard work but that's what kind of got us onto the road to say okay We need to figure this out a little bit better. Maybe this isn't the idea. Flea markets uh, are not necessarily a sustainable business, but we can come up with a plan where we develop a product, something people want, and turn it into something.
0: So what I love about what you said was that, and to your good fortune, from an early time, you were confident in your capability. It was a matter of just figuring it out. And what I find so often for amazingly talented people, you know, you get good grades in school, you have high hopes going into college, and then sometimes they enter the workforce and they lose their confidence because somehow they're not able to shine in the new environment. And so I want to remind people that have Felt confident at one point and lose it along the way. Think back to the time when you felt like you could do anything and there was nothing that could hold you back. It's a beautiful thing and especially even more beautiful if you can rediscover your confidence and do the work that you're passionate about. But I want to just go into another direction because you also talked about a critical person in that T entity. It was that individual you started having a conversation that took a risk on you beautiful people that see the value in what you do. What was it, do you think? And did you ever have a chance to ask them, why the heck did you take a risk on two young people with parts of your business? Did they ever give you that feedback? What was that?
1: Yeah, you know, I kind of consider him a mentor. and We've stayed in touch over the years. He even wrote me a referral letter when I started to go back to school to earn my MBA which I did after starting these ventures. I started going to night school at Hofstra university and he wrote me a referral letter, but he said he grew up in the same kind of way. He grew up in Brooklyn, uh, you know, a young kid with a lot of ambition. He saw the same in us. And he felt like, listen, you guys are sharp. You're energetic. You're motivated. You can do this. I can teach you how to sell. And he had this real structured framework of how to sell Here's everything you need to know about the product. Here are the objections you're going to face. Here's how you overcome those objections. So he really broke it down so methodically. And he said, "You have all the tools you need. All you got to do now is get up early in the morning and go. And uh, it's just a matter of putting in the effort
0: so that's beautiful advice. and And I, too, i you know, one of my backstories is I didn't have a lot of mentors growing up. However, now, I see the value of a mentor, and I have several now. And they're the ones that are on your shoulder, even when they're not there, saying, Hey, Deb, (laughs) get over yourself, or Hey, you can do this, or I believe in you. You just got to get out of your own head. They're so, so invaluable. So if you don't have a mentor, seek one out because they can be incredibly valuable in that journey. But fast forward. So you were in these entrepreneurial ventures, and then you started going in another direction. Tell us more about that.
1: Yeah. So I was able to sell those businesses. And uh, at that point, I was looking to start joining something that was a little bit more structured, that had more resources. Because you know, wh- when I tell my story about my entrepreneurial background, it sounds like all rainbows and butterflies. Like, oh, you started this company and everyone started buying it and money started rolling in. And boy, how everything works so beautifully You know, it must be real easy. Uh, but there are a lot of challenges there, especially when you're running your own business where you really have to deal with all the functions of a company, you know, supply chain, people management, accounting, finance, production, distribution, customers, it, it's just everything. And the area that I felt like I enjoyed most, and that I really wanted to focus on was sales. So it occurred to me that, you know, once I sold these businesses, what if I join a larger company that has the resources and the department's let them take care of the purchasing, let them take care of the finance, and I could really just focus on sales, that would be something that was desirable to me. So I made the turn and I joined a company called uh, Astor Chocolate, and they were looking for someone to come in and build a sales division to enter a new business channel for them, uh, which was the food service channel. And obviously, with my tea experience, particularly in the New York area, I had quite a bit of experience and connections and success uh, so it really seemed like a good fit.
0: So curious, sales. You're, you're a very interesting person to me. Sales, dime a dozen. And yeah. I don't need to uh, <laughs> belittle it. But I want you to maybe share with the audience what makes you different. What is it about your sales style, your leadership? If you had to say, hey, you could buy from this guy, but here's why you should buy from me. What makes you different as a sales leader?
1: Well, I tend to be more relationship driven i'm not someone who's trying to close the deal at the end of the hour uh so not like that the pushy salesman who's you know if you buy now i can give you this but tomorrow suddenly the terms change uh <laughs> or you're not going to get as favorable of a deal so you know it tends to be really more about communicating and developing trust and letting them go back and digest talk to their people come back to me. Yes, you need to be persistent. You need to follow up. You need to be present. A lot of times, especially with larger uh, sale items or longer sales cycles, you have to allow it to go through the process a few times before you really start to see progress. You're not going to come in on the first time and just close a deal.
0: So what would you tell a young, ambitious person that you're training and leading? It takes time. How do you teach patience and discipline in that process, knowing that it's relationships take a little bit longer to develop and get the sale ultimately?
1: So I was once described, it's always stuck in my mind. I was once described as pleasantly persistent. And there's an interesting story behind that.
0: (laughs) Keep going. This is really interesting. Go ahead.
1: So back in my, my tea business days, I mentioned the fireman group earlier. This was a really established large group, a restaurant group, they still operate in the New York area restaurants like uh, Bond 45 and the Brooklyn Diners and Cafe Fiorello on the Upper West Side. I was working on getting in with them with my product, but they had a competitor of mine. They were pretty well entrenched. They were very happy there. Uh, And I would constantly circle back to the central purchasing director there saying, hey, can we talk? Can you give me an opportunity at one of your locations? Let me prove myself. Let me prove my product, my service." I, um, you know, wouldn't really get anywhere and, you know, continue going about my business, focusing on other opportunities until one day he gave me a call and said, Ellie, I'm ready. How soon can you get machines into all my restaurants? And my head started spinning. What happened? What happened? What changed? Well, not to get into the details of what happened on the competitor side, but something fell apart on that end. And I guess they were ready to make a switch. And I was there and I was positioned. And, and he told me, he said, you know, you've always been pleasantly persistent. I always like what you had to offer. It just wasn't right for us to actually do make a switch There's a lot of logistics involved. But that's also where when you come into sales, people get discouraged, you're going to get a lot of no's and it's not personal sometimes just the business doesn't allow for their logistical challenges. They can't just turn things over to buy what it is that you're selling. But continue to stay in touch and be there because those business circumstances change or sometimes the people change. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, The person making the decision turns over and you're primed and positioned to now take over that business. And that was a turning point for my business. That's when we really started to go to the next level in terms of, of revenue. It was a, a huge win for me. And I'll always remember that. And I always think back to that pleasant persistence as a core quality that you need in sales.
0: So I really, really love that. I think that's actually just pivotal to any role Whether you're in operations, sometimes we need to make changes in how we manufacture products, and it's all about building those relationships and helping people to understand the benefits of doing something a little bit differently. And I, too, have suffered from like, oh, I put out offers, and I've had these great relationships, and they don't convert. And then, nine months later, yeah, can we talk? (laughs) Can we talk? And it is often the environment changes. I think my my message for people listening is that you still got to continue to believe in yourself because along the way, you've had somebody validate saying, I love what you do, keep doing what you're doing. And it's really the decision is on the other people. It may not be the right time, the right place, the right price point, et cetera, but they're still looking, lurking, and the hard part is just continuing to stay there, be present, and be there for when they want to make the change. So that is beautiful. So now you go into organizations, you build their sales channels, you build the people. I am really interested, though, in sustainability part of developing the people in the organization because you nail that you know how to do sales. But when you go into an organization, what are you often seeing as the pain points? And what are those challenges that you help get them through in order to them realize their fullest potential in their sales channels?
1: So one of the biggest things I see within organizations is these competing agendas among departments. Uh, where sometimes people are just kind of focusing on their lane and not necessarily looking at how all the dots connect and the big picture and what you're doing impacts another group and how it impacts the company overall. And being able to smooth that out through clear communication and planning where everyone has their eye on the same plan and the same goal. You might have smaller goals beneath that where each one needs to see and follow through. But make sure that everything that you're doing on a day-to-day basis really feeds into that larger plan and that larger goal. That's something I see as a challenge, especially smaller and medium companies. And I haven't had experience working in major or large companies, but I'm sure it exists there as well.
0: Oh yes and you know what it can be frustrating for a leader trying to figure that out they'll come into a new situation they don't understand the culture and they're trying to make a quick change but one of the things I teach in my you know leadership development course is where there are gaps whether it's competing agendas different goals, different leadership, et cetera. It is important to find common ground, often going back to the values of the company or what are the overall strategy to become number one in our area. If you can ground people and say, yes, we're all here to do that, you've moved the conversation one step further. And then to talk about, we see these competing agendas where are those areas of common ground? If you need this and you need that, I'll help you here. You help me there. You move the conversation one step further. That's the greatest thing a leader can do is understand the differences and try to close those gaps. So I love your point about competing agendas. So the next thing though is the journey. So you see these as opportunities, but I would love to know based on spending time with the organization or the sales leadership group what have been some of the transformations that you've been able to help those companies realize because of the work you do in your
1: leadership well once we establish a goal it really changes the way people operate and the ability to focus and that's probably the biggest transformation i've seen individually and within divisions is once you're all pulling on the rope together and you're trying to reach that same goal, you really start to align your activities where there's this multiplier effect, where something that you do not only benefits you know how you're performing and, and the tasks that you're responsible for, but it helps those around you as well. And everyone starts to operate in that way. So the multiplier effect starts to become more exponential in terms of the impact to the company. And that's when a company can really start to take off. And I I like to use the term, you know, get on a runway for growth, where you're really about to go fly. That's what tends to happen once people have that clear vision and those objectives.
0: It's almost like in that book, Good to Great, uh, the flywheel that you just got to keep going. But ultimately, it starts going really, really fast. And it's beautiful when you start seeing that momentum. But I want to switch gears on you a little bit because you are not very present on social media, but you have posted a while ago. And about five months ago, you put out on LinkedIn something about selling on strength. Often when going into situations, you've got competition that you have to deal with. And maybe your client brings up about the competition. How do you deal with those? What is your philosophy on selling on strength?
1: <laughs> well, you know, I, I and I mentioned on that post, uh, that's actually one of my more popular posts when you look at it in terms of uh, number of views and such. Uh, not that I've posted too much, but as a salesperson, I tend to be very hyper aware of uh, salespeople who are selling to me. Uh, just in personal, you know, buying furniture for the house, things like that, or a car, whatever it is. And I tend to kind of look at their tactics and even though I'm not, you know, trying to rate what they're doing, it's just natural because it's it's what I do. And I often find that it just comes off so poorly when they just talk about the competitor in a negative way. And when they do the opposite and they actually talk about the competitor in a positive way and say things that make me interested in working with that competitor, it kind of has the effect of making me more interested in working with that person because you kind of want to know, you know, what is it that you're doing that, you know, is even better than what they're doing and you're here singing their praises and how good their product is. Tell me how you differentiate yourself. Tell me what it is that you offer that's different from them. And that's why you're here doing what you're doing here versus at that competitor that's, you know, also has has a good product. And it just tends to have that effect when you're dealing with a customer And they're talking about why they're happy with the competitor. Don't talk about the negatives that they do. Talk about the positives that you do that they don't do. And in so doing, without saying it, you're kind of pointing out their flaws. (laughs) Because when you say what you do that they don't do, they pick up on that and realize, yeah, you're right, I am lacking that and I am lacking that. And you guys are bringing that to the table. Okay, let's talk.
0: And you've said nothing negative about the competition. It speaks to character. It builds trust. So it's one of those things, if you can't say something good, don't say anything at all. Or don't say anything negative. I always, always spin. I mean, there's... I have an A1 personality. There's a lot of things that irritate me. If it doesn't meet my standard, I have something to say about it. But what I have challenged myself over the years is what can I say? You know, if they're having a rough day. They did what they could, they were being as best they could in serving us. And I always try to look for the positive and how I can be helpful. So, testimonials. One of the things I found interesting on your LinkedIn profiles, you give several testimonials to people. You like giving back. And there was a situation last year, May of 21, where you gave this wonderful testimonial to somebody that says, they are about, don't make your presence known, make your absence felt. And regardless of the person or the situation, I thought it was so profound, you putting forth that thought and that person that you were giving a testimonial for tell me a little bit more about that i think there's something really strong in there
1: yeah the the person you're referencing he's an it leader who i've had the pleasure of working with for a number of years and he when you'd be in a room with him with different division heads going around the table, he'd never be one to speak he'd he'd speak when when called on, but he would really just kind of observe listen, and take notes and I'd go to him after these meetings once I got to know him a little bit and I, what the heck are you writing in that notebook? you know just wondering like mm-hmm. what it is that you're taking away because he's not really necessarily sharing his thoughts at the table at some of these meetings. And he wouldn't tell me (laughs) what was in there, but the point is he'd go back and he'd execute everything that was talked about and more. And it's like, he's, he absorbed everything that was talked about. He built it into the systems that we were using or looking to operate or implement. And you just knew when there was a project that he was involved in, you knew he had hands on it. And conversely, as I say in that testimonial, when he wasn't there and you saw a project, you didn't have to know he wasn't involved. You just saw the results of the work and it just seems like he wasn't involved in this, was he? Uh, especially when I when I moved on from that company elsewhere, obviously he wouldn't be involved in those projects. I definitely saw a difference in terms of the product. So he's someone whose absence to me was felt and that's why I gave a testimonial in that way. Uh, it just goes down to the basic fundamental idea of, you know, you, it, actions, not words.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's how we make people feel. That's what's most memorable. I actually wrote a blog post today about, you know, I remember a leader dropping into an organization and yes, he saved the day with fixing our business, but I was a young leader at that point, And I just remember him elevating my capability and confidence. I don't remember Exactly what he did, but he left an impact on me for which I've brought forth the drop in CEO brand. So I love your thought. And this is just one of the best moments that you wrote years. Don't make your presence known, but your absence felt. I think it's very, very profound. So, Ellie, this has been an amazing interview. I think the strength of this conversation is is your journey, your courage, your tenacity, as well as your passion for serving as well as elevating people. But I want to take these last few moments for you to maybe share some thoughts about aspiring leaders in their career. Maybe they don't have a mentor. Are there some tips or thoughts you'd like to share with them to make it just a little bit easier for them to get ahead in their career based on your experience?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the main thing to me is always being aware of the person on the other side of the table, putting yourself in their shoes. So whether you're selling them a product, think the way they would likely be thinking when they're looking at you. Whether you're talking to someone who reports to you, think about how they feel in that position talking to you. Always putting yourself in the other person's shoe. it it, it really helps you kind of empathize and react appropriately so that you can really maximize the interaction and get the most out of it. And to me, that's really the best advice. Too often we get caught up in our own interests and what we're trying to accomplish and we're really not thinking about what's going to speak to the other person. And you really need to kind of go back to that if you expect to get through To people and be successful.
0: This has been an amazing interview, Ellie. I feel grateful that I found you and we've brought this conversation forward. And I know people want to just check you out, learn more about you, perhaps even connect with you and learn more about the work you do and your leadership. How can people connect with you?
1: Uh, LinkedIn's probably the best. I think I might be the only Ellie Menzer on LinkedIn. So if you just go ahead and uh, search for me on there, I'd love to connect and uh, expand my network.
0: All right, Elliot, this has been an amazing interview. Uh, I want to thank you for your time and wish you continued success.
1: Thank you for having me. This has been great. Thanks.
0: Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My new book, The CEO's Compass, will change the way you think about leadership, navigate rapid transformation, and elevate the leaders of tomorrow. If you're feeling off track, the CEO's Compass assessment will guide you to peace of mind in days, not months. You can learn more about the CEO's Compass by visiting my website at dropinceo.com. Now go out and lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.